So I'll encourage you, if you brought a Bible, um, why don't you grab it and you can turn to just the end of Mark chapter 15. We're going to look at Mark 15 and 16 this morning. But I don't, know, I don't know if I need to tell you this, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you should be immensely excited this Sunday morning. <laughs> Like we get, I, I was talking to someone about this. We, as people, we get excited about so many things. Oh, it's the Super Bowl. I love the Super Bowl and the Olympics. Oh, it's finally here. You should be immensely excited about this morning because Jesus rose from the dead. And so what we want to do is spend the next few moments just talking about the significance of this event that happened. Like what actually happened on that morning and then for us, 2,000 years later, why does it matter? Why do we celebrate the resurrection? What, what does it mean for us? So I don't know if you're aware of this, but in the decades before and after Jesus' life, death, and, and resurrection, there were actually dozens of messianic movements in Israel. Um, they happened quite often. What would happen is that you would have a charismatic leader who would kind of rise up and do some teaching, and, and he would gather a following of people around him. And, and there was always this, this, uh, this excitement, but man, maybe this guy's the one. And then inevitably, the, the charismatic leader would be killed, most often uh, executed by Rome. And then what would happen is this, the, the movement would just kind of collapse, and everybody would go home, and we, we would go, well, I, I guess it wasn't the guy. There's only one in the history of the world that actually didn't collapse. And actually this movement exploded around the world and in 300 years it had spread through the entire Roman Empire. And if you read history, 300 years after Jesus was raised from the dead, over 50% of the Roman world claimed that Jesus was Lord. I mean, that's, that's not normal, right? Usually these movements, the guy dies and everyone just goes home. But here we have a movement where Jesus dies and his followers claimed that he was raised from the dead and the movement exploded around the world. Now, I want you to put yourselves there. Uh, on Friday, right, we celebrated and remembered that Jesus was crucified. So put yourself there as a disciple, as part of this movement. You've just, you've just witnessed your leader, the Messiah, the one that you were putting all of your hope in, crucified, nailed to a tree, dead. And I'm sure that some people were thinking, same old, same old, it happened again. Our leader died, well, everyone just kind of go home now. I guess this wasn't the one that was going to stick. But then Sunday comes and massive news begins to spread. They go, Jesus is actually not dead anymore. Actually, the tomb's empty. Actually, angels have come and said that he's not dead anymore. He's alive. So what I want to do this morning is just, like I said, walk through the end of Mark, talk about the, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, and then really just two things I want to share. Reasons that it's true. Why can we actually trust that the resurrection is true? And then to end, well, why does it matter then? If it actually happened and it's true, well, what difference does it make in, in my life? So starting in uh, Mark 15, I, I want to actually read the account of Jesus' burial. So it says this in verse 42, when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. 
Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid." Now, you might be wondering, why, why would we begin with the burial of Jesus? And actually, it's, it's actually really, really important. Um, it's very important that Mark includes all these little details about the death of Jesus because what he's trying to do is give confidence in the fact that Jesus actually died. Um, you have Joseph of Arimathea, who we're told is very well respected. He's a member of the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders and rulers of the day. And so he asks for the body of Jesus to, to wrap him in a shroud and, and, and put it in the tomb. You have the centurion who confirms to Pilate, yes, Jesus is dead. You have Pilate that accepts that news. Okay, I'm surprised that he's already died, but we confirmed it. Jesus actually died. You have Joseph bury the body, and then you have two more witnesses, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph. They all saw this happen. So what this means is that there's multiple experts and there's multiple eyewitnesses to the fact that Jesus actually died. Now, why is that important? It's important because over the years, um, skeptics, even like recently, have said, well, did Jesus actually die? Maybe he just like kind of fainted and he passed out. Maybe, right, they flogged him 39 times. Maybe they beat him and put a crown of thorns on his head. Maybe they nailed his hands and his feet to a cross. Maybe they stabbed him in the side, but he still didn't die. Maybe he just kind of swooned and fell asleep, and then they took him down, and they placed him in the, the, the tomb, and, you know, three days later, after all of the beatings and blood pouring out, he just kind of woke up and went, oh, where am I? I'm alive now, right? And so Mark includes all these details because he goes, no, that is ridiculous to think that Jesus didn't actually die. You have Joseph, who's a well-respected member of the community. You have Pilate. You have the centurion. You have all of these witnesses that go, no, Jesus died. He is dead. We placed him in a tomb. We sealed the tomb with a rock. Jesus is dead, as dead as you can be. Chapter 16, verse 1, this is what happens. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So what we have, right, it's confirmed that Jesus died. 
And after the Sabbath, on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, they, they come, and you have these women coming to the tomb, uh, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome, and they're bringing spices, and what they would do is that they would anoint a dead body and pack spices around the body to just kind of help um, keep the, the stench of death out of the tomb. It was just a, something to honor the person who had died. It was very common practice that they would do that. And I love that we're told that as they're walking in verse 3, they're just wondering a very practical question. These three women are going, all right, how are we going to move the stone? (laughs) Right? How are we going to get into the tomb? There's a massive stone. I love that Mark says in verse 4, it was very large. Right? He's just adding that detail. Like, this is a big stone. Three women, I don't even know if three men could move this stone away from the entrance. So they're going, how are we going to get in? So what I want you to know is is nobody is expecting a resurrection. These women aren't going, well, we don't have to worry about the stone because Jesus is going to be alive. They're going to prepare to see his dead body lying there and and anoint him with spices. And they're wondering, how are we going to get in the tomb? Notice that there's no male disciples around. Think about the amount of times that Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die, and I will be raised from the dead. Like literally, Matthew 17, it says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed, and on the third day be raised. I mean, Jesus was very specific, wasn't he? And yet not one disciple on Sunday said, hey, it's the third day. Should we go check? I think I vaguely remember Jesus saying something about the third day. But there's nobody there, right? None of the disciples say, we should go check the tomb to see if he's alive. So what that means is no one is expecting Jesus to be alive. I'm sure they're just going, what do we do now? Our leader's dead. It happened again. We're all disappointed. We have to move on. No one's expecting Jesus to be raised from the dead. A couple of reasons. I mean, in the Greek world, if you were Greek, you actually didn't believe in a resurrection, because if you, if you remember in our series in 1 Corinthians, we talked about Gnosticism and kind of this dualistic thinking. And in the Greek world, the body is bad. It's evil. You don't want to be raised from the dead. The goal is to escape your body. And so they just, the Greeks said, no, there's no resurrection. You're just, you just, you die. And then the good part of you, your soul just floats away. And that's the good part. You don't want to be raised from the dead. Now, the Jews, the Jews believed in kind of a, a general generic future resurrection, right? If you remember in John 11, uh, Martha and Mary, right, they're talking to Jesus and they're like, yes, yeah, there's, there's going to be a resurrection one day. But in the Jewish worldview, there was no concept of one man being raised from the dead in the middle of history. <laughs> that just didn't compute with them. So they come into the tomb and there's an angel sitting there and he says, don't be alarmed. Jesus has risen. He's not here. Go and tell the disciples, and you'll see him. And I love that the angel says, just as he told you. (laughs) Do you remember? Jesus told you that this was going to happen. And so then they run away from the tomb, and and they say that trembling and astonishment seized them, and they were afraid, and they didn't tell anyone. And before we, like, judge them, you would all do the same. A guy that you saw die, yeah, he's alive now. You would run from the tomb, too, going, ah, I don't know what to do. Right? Because it just, it didn't compute in their minds. So, I mean, it's an incredible account of what happened. These these women find the tomb of Jesus empty, 
And an angel says, well, he's not here. Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead just like he said he would. Now, why should you and I, right, 2,000 years later, trust that this story actually happened? How do we know that the resurrection actually happened, right? And, and you'll see lots of, you know, atheists and skeptics and critics go, ah, it's just a story. You can't be certain that it actually happened. And, and actually, I think the resurrection of Jesus is one of the most historically verifiable events that has ever happened. Um, if you're a little bit older, you might, might remember, but back in the day when like the nuclear arms race was happening, right, between the U.S. and Russia, and then even, even more in more recent years when there was worry that Iran and Iraq had nuclear weapons and the U.S. was kind of freaking out about that, there was a phrase that kind of got tossed around, and it was trust and verify, right? So when, I, when Iraq or Iran would be like, no, we don't have any nuclear bombs, the U.S. would say, well, we trust you, but we're also going to verify, <laughs> Right? So uh, that's, that's kind of what, what God has given us in the resurrection. Many people think, well, as a Christian, all you have is blind trust. All you have is blind faith. You have no evidence. You just kind of cross your fingers and you go, well, I believe. I hope it's true. No, 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 no. God has given so many reasons for you to trust that the resurrection is true, but also he verified it. So let me give you a few Number one, significant is the fact that no body of Jesus has ever been found, ever. And, and it's not like we don't know where he was buried. Oh, he could be anywhere in the world. We know where he was buried, near Jerusalem, by where he was crucified. There was a garden, and Joseph of Arimathea had a tomb. Like, we know where the tomb is, general area, and yet no body has ever been found, now, I know some of you might be going, well, maybe the disciples just stole the body. And that's actually, stories began to spread, right? If you read Matthew 28, it says this, well, they were going, behold, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if it comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money, and they did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. So the, the soldiers who were guarding the tomb were bribed. They said, look, look what happened. The body's gone. There was an earthquake. The stone rolled away. There was an angel. I don't know what to tell you. The body's gone. And so the religious leaders gathered and said, well, how are we going to cover this up? And Okay, here's some money. Say that you fell asleep and that the disciples stole the body. Which, again, think about this. for That is so ridiculous that uneducated fishermen who, like, three days before had ran away scared for their lives. One of them ran away naked going, oh, we're all going to die. Somehow they snuck past trained Roman guards, rolled very quietly, rolled a massive stone away from the tomb, stole the body, and then kept it hidden for thousands of years. Ridiculous. But that's the stories that spread. Well, this is embarrassing. Here, here's some money. Say that you fell asleep and that they stole the body. So listen, no body has ever been found, ever. And people have tried. Maybe we can figure out what happened. Secondly, one of the reasons that you can trust the resurrection is that the number of witnesses that saw Jesus is astounding. 
we're told of these women who come to the tomb, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome. We, we, we read in John that Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene in the flesh. We read this in 1 Corinthians 15, and that he, Jesus, appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Like, look at the list of, of witnesses. It wasn't as if just Mary Magdalene said, I saw Jesus, trust me, and no one else saw him. Like, we're told, like, hundreds upon hundreds of eyewitnesses, all of the disciples, James, 500 people at one time saw Jesus. Um, James, who is Jesus' brother, do you remember what was said about Jesus' family? Jesus' family thought he was crazy. They went, this guy's out of his mind. And now we have his brother who says, yes, Jesus is Lord. I mean, that just doesn't happen. Right? So you have James, the brother of Jesus, and then you have Saul who becomes Paul, right? Jesus appears to him in the flesh. What you have to understand is that for 40 days, right, Jesus rose from the dead and then he ascended into heaven 40 days later. Like he, he saw people, many, many, many people saw Jesus alive. And I love that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, most of them are still alive. You know what he means by that? Go ask them. The, 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 the letter of 1 Corinthians was written maybe 20 or so years after Jesus rose from the dead. So many of those people who saw the resurrected Jesus were still alive. And, and Paul's saying, was ask them about it. It would be similar. Like if you can imagine, right, 9-11 happened 20-something years ago. And it would be like writing a letter describing the events that took place as the Twin Towers fell and the planes crashed into them on September 11th, and then saying, many, many people saw this happen, go ask them about it. That's the same amount of time, right? Paul's saying, listen, hundreds of people saw Jesus alive. It wasn't just one guy that said, I think he's alive, I think I saw him. 500 people, that's more than this whole room saw Jesus standing alive in the flesh. And Paul says, ask them about it. So the number of witnesses to the, the resurrection of Jesus is astounding. Thirdly, um, all of his disciples suffered immensely for saying that Jesus was alive. The disciples went from being scared cowards, literally running away at the first sign of danger to all being willing to die for their faith in Jesus. Like literally, all the disciples ran away when Jesus was arrested. Peter comes back and kind of follows at a distance, and then they ask him, aren't you one of his followers? And what does he do? He denies Jesus three times. Peter's a coward. And that after the resurrection, they would not recant that Jesus was alive. They were beheaded. They were killed by the sword, they were crucified upside down, they were boiled alive, they were banished to island, and not one of them said, okay, okay, it was all a joke. Jesus is not alive. I take it back. Um, some of you might have been alive when Watergate happened, right? Right? Richard Nixon? Some of you are like, huh? I'm not a crook, Right? But Watergate was this huge scandal, and they kind of broke into the, the Democratic headquarters, and there was money and wiretaps, and all this scandal happened in the U.S. government. 
And Charles Colson was one of the, uh, some of you, Chuck Colson, right? He became an author and a Christian, but he was actually very heavily involved. He went to prison for his involvement in this. And this is what he says about the resurrection. A man who is involved in lying and covering up a conspiracy. Charles Colson says this, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured it if it wasn't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. And you're telling me that 12 apostles could keep a lie going for 40 years? Impossible. So you look at the history of what took place after Jesus rose from the dead, you go, it has to be true. If Peter stole the body and it's just in his basement in his house and he's being crucified upside down, Peter would have said, okay, I take it back. But they never did because it actually happened. Fourthly, um, not only just the Bible, but actually ancient historians confirms what took place in the gospel accounts. Um, Very well-known Jewish historian Josephus, not a believer, not a follower of Jesus by any stretch of the imagination, Josephus wrote a book called Jewish Antiquities, and this is what he says about Jesus in his book. Now, there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those who loved him at the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day. As the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him, and the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct to this day. Josephus isn't a Christian. And he goes, hey, this happened. We all saw Jesus crucified And three days later, he rose from the dead. Um, Pliny the Younger is also an ancient historian that mentions the death and resurrection of Jesus. Tacitus is an ancient historian that mentions the death and resurrection of Jesus. Like, it's one of the most historically verifiable facts. So you go, can I trust that it actually happened? Yes. You can have immense trust that has been verified that Jesus rose from the dead. So if that's true, then... Well, why does it matter? Okay, so Jesus was killed and he rose from the dead, but who cares? What does that mean for us? I want to give you three things as we close. Number one, Jesus being raised from the dead confirms that he is who he said he is. And if you've read the Gospels, you'll know that Jesus made incredible claims throughout his whole life. Jesus claimed that he had authority to forgive sins. He claimed that he was divine. Jesus claimed that he was eternal, that he was the son of God. Jesus said all throughout his ministry, he told all the crowds that a sign was going to be done to confirm everything that he said. And that sign was the resurrection. In John chapter two, it says this, the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you'll raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. 
When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. John 10, Jesus says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. And because Jesus died and then was raised from the dead, everything he said about himself is true. So it confirms Jesus is who he says he is. Secondly, the resurrection of Jesus secures our salvation. If Jesus was just a man who made some pretty extravagant claims that he could forgive sin and then he died and he stayed dead, then his death meant nothing. It didn't accomplish anything. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, if the resurrection didn't happen, then we're all fools and we're still in our sin and there is no hope. But because Jesus rose from the dead, it actually means that your salvation is secure. Um, One scholar I read said this, after a criminal does time in jail and fully satisfies the sentence, the law has no more claim on him and he walks out free. Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sins. It was an infinite sentence. But he must have satisfied it fully because on Sunday, he walked out free. The resurrection was God's way of stamping, paid in full, right across history so that nobody could miss it. Because Jesus rose from the dead and walked out of the tomb, it means your salvation is secure. He's done it. And then lastly, the the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope for the future. To, to the extent that the, the future described in the Bible is true, it'll change how you live in the present. And the Bible describes the future with Jesus when he's, he returns as incredible. A renewed earth, heaven coming down, God dwelling with his people, no pain, no sickness, no death, no sadness. But here's the problem. In our day and age, we look at the world and we see suffering and we see disability and we see financial hardship and we see death and, and we see pain and all of these things plague us. And if you and I think that this broken world is the only world that, that we're ever going to get, it'll affect you in the present. But because Jesus rose from the dead and he's alive, he gives us incredible hope for the future. That's why Jesus is called the firstborn from the dead. He is the first one of this this new future that is promised to us. So let me give you an example of how this plays out. Many of you know Joni Erickson Tata. Um, She uh, had an accident at age 17, and she has been a quadriplegic for many, many years, paralyzed from the neck down. And she's a follower of Jesus. So when you think about pain and suffering and heartache, like she's lived it. And she tells a story uh, at her church one time during the service, the pastor, not maliciously, but just in the moment, just asked everyone to kneel and pray. And of course, she's the only one who can't. So she's sitting in a room where everyone else is kneeling and praying, and she's the only one sitting upright. And she said she just began, began to weep. But she says that they actually weren't tears of self-pity. This is what she says. Sitting there, I was reminded that in heaven, I will be free to jump up, dance, kick, do aerobics. 
And sometime before the guests are called to the banquet table at the wedding feast of the Lamb, the first thing I plan to do on resurrected legs is to drop on grateful, glorified knees. I will quietly kneel at the feet of Jesus. I, with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body, light, bright, and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope that the resurrection gives someone who is spinal cord injured like me? So listen, in the, mo- in the here and now, as you and I go through pain and loss and hardship and suffering and tears, you can cling to the hope of the resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead, and he is alive And he is coming back just like he said he would. And that is why we call the resurrection beautiful because it changes our future. It gives us hope. It secures our salvation. And it allows us to trust that Jesus is who he says he is. So I'm going to ask the team to come back up. We want to sing one more song. But let me just pray for us. Um, Father, I just thank you that as we study your word and as we look at history, The resurrection is not just something that we cross our fingers and hope is true. The the resurrection of Jesus from the grave might be one of the most verifiable facts of human history. So God, it's not this blind, naive hope that, oh man, I'm just hoping that it's true. No, it's confident assurance that it happened, that Jesus You rose from the dead. You walked out of the tomb, securing our salvation, defeating death. And so I thank you for what that means to us. It means that we can trust everything that you say about yourself. It means that our salvation is secure. We can actually rest in the fact that it's finished. You have done it, Jesus. And it gives us incredible hope for the future that in the midst of pain and suffering and sadness, that we cling to the fact that one day, Jesus, you will return and make all things right. And so because of these things, uh, Jesus, you are worthy of our praise. And so we want to respond by singing and making much of you, Jesus. And so we just pray all of this in your name. Amen.